Welcome to the Songwriter Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Joseph Vidala, and we're going to talk about music theory, lyric writing, creative productivity, inspiration, and more. I'm super excited to have you here, so let's dive into the episode. Hello, friend. Welcome to yet another episode of Songwriter Theory. Excited about this episode? Something a little... Uh, different than what it feels like we've been covering lately. And I think it's advice that one wouldn't hear a lot, um, but is very useful. And I think it can apply to a lot more things than just songwriting as well. This could apply to anything creative, creative, um, and also could apply to things that aren't creative. And that is that today, I want to convince you not to edit your lyrics too soon. So, I get it. Sometimes you just want to get to that next step of songwriting, right? You're excited. You have this lyric you've written. And you just want to get to the next step. And that next step is editing. You want to edit that lyric and make it better and better. And if you've been following my advice, uh, you will want to do uh, what I implored you to do in episode 30, which is iterative lyric writing, which in my opinion is by far the best way to edit a lyric. But it's important to not put on that editing hat too soon. And there are two main reasons for this that I want to go over. The first one is that editing implies some level of commitment. So the first reason you shouldn't be so quick to jump into editing is it implies that you're committed to refining what you've already written instead of continuing to write something new. So why shouldn't we do that too early, right? A part of getting a great lyric is editing, right? Um, In fact, I would argue that editing is quite possibly the most important step of songwriting. Of all the steps you have, from that first idea inception all the way to finished product, I think editing is the most important. I would make that argument. And yet, you can't do it too quickly. Well, you can, but you shouldn't. So, why is it we shouldn't do this too early? What is, the, what is this fear of commitment that I just laid out? It's that editing refines what you already have. It doesn't usually result in something totally new, right? Like, let's take something else. If you edit a picture, maybe you're into photography, you edit a picture, the only thing you have to work with, right, is that original photo you took. If it's a little blurry on the subject of your photo, you can't unblur that. Sure, you can change the light stuff, and I'm not going to pretend to understand that much about photography. My wife's getting into it and doing a great job, but, um, 
you know, I'm not going to pretend like I know all the different terminology and saturation and all that stuff. But, um, you know, th there's only there's only so much you can do. The picture has already been taken. The picture is there. Once you start editing, editing is to clean up something you have, right? So in theory, you want something good and then you edit it to make it even better, make it great. Or maybe you even take a great photo and then you edit it to be even more great. And, you know, there's obviously that the joke, right, of fix it in post, right? Pretty common joke um, in the video world and in the audio world. It's a common joke for for a lot of us out there, right? And if you don't know what that is, somehow, uh, the idea of it is basically, um, you know, the joke of, let's say you're, <clears throat> you're a band and you went into the studio and you're recording your uh, lead vocal and you're a little pitchy that day uh, and you get a vocal take that other than your pitch is actually pretty good uh, or really good. And your attitude is, ah, fix it in post. Pitch correction will fix that. It's fine. Or you're doing a lead guitar part and you keep messing up on a certain section and you're like, ah, oh, we have editing, right? We can, we can kind of slide things around so that the rhythm's right. Uh, fix it in post. It's fine. The problem with that is the original product, sure, we can fudge it a little bit, but the original product is the original product. And the point of editing is to make something even more great out of an already great product. Get it right the first time, right? Because it's going to take so much more time and effort and might not even be totally fixable in post. But just get it right the first time. Get it right. And then let the editing do the little cleanup rather than fixing something that's broken. So you want it to be clean up, not fixing something that's broken. So think of it like this. If you crashed on a desert island, and then you found a spot that seemed good enough to survive, and then decided to not even bother looking for a better spot, what's the issue with that? Go ahead. You're probably in your car right now or something. Say it out loud. What do you think the issue with that is? Well, hopefully you responded out loud. Otherwise, that was just an awkward silence, in which case, that's your fault. I tried to have a conversation. But um, the, the issue, right, is that right around the corner, there might be a place flush with vegetation that you can eat. Maybe it has a better shelter. Maybe even a nicer view to live your last days, which will be so, so many days because, well, you found vegetation to keep yourself alive. But you stopped as soon as you found good enough, right? You saw a place after you crashed on this desert island. You're like, yeah, good enough. Now, sure, you can fortify your current shelter and try to cultivate some edible plants because uh, there's a couple there. And you'll end up okay. But if you just took the time to explore the island a little bit more, maybe spend another hour, you would be in a much, 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 much better situation where you don't have to work your butt off just to have the vegetation to live. Instead, you have the vegetation to live, and all you have to do is maintain it. That's so much easier, so much better. 
You don't have to take so much time to try to build a shelter that maybe falls apart whenever the storm comes and it's a little too windy. When there's a perfectly good cave, a 20-minute walk away. Right? So if you jump into editing too fast, you've missed all the opportunities to explore different story and lyrical ideas that might end up being much better than the first set of good ideas you get. Right? Just because you find something good doesn't mean you can't continue searching and find something better. Now, you know, another problem that one can get into is the problem of not being willing to commit ever um, and, and, and just refusing to commit to something, uh, which is a totally separate issue, um, but also, of course, can be dangerous because then you write no songs because you're too busy not being able to commit to something. <clears throat> but if you jump into editing too fast, you've committed. You've committed to that original draft to some extent, right? Because now, as powerful as iterative lyric writing is, as powerful as, as editing and the editing process with iterative lyric writing is, for the most part, it doesn't create something new. It refines something that already exists. And the writing process is primarily to find a bunch of different new things to figure out which ones are the best. What are the best ideas? What are the best seeds to actually plant to allow to grow into a flower? So don't commit too quick. Don't commit too quickly. Take some time and really write. A new habit I've gotten myself into, because uh, I, I, part of this advice is I, I have done this many times. And the hard part is if you, especially the second verse, right? The second verse is the hardest thing to write because you already have the constraints created by the first verse. And some of the imagination you used up on that first verse. <clears throat> and now the second verse, you're challenged to move the story forward, but you're constrained lyrically because you already have the rhythm of, of the verse. You already have the, the rough amount of syllables created by, by the first, <clears throat> that first verse. And it's so easy to sort of throw together a second verse. So the amount of times that I've found myself editing and editing and trying to make gold out of just a crap second verse is so many, so many. And that's what I want you to avoid. My new habit that I've created off of this idea that we're talking about today is I will take, and you could even argue this as a part of iterative lyric writing, which is why I call it iterative lyric writing and not iterative lyric editing because it is editing, but um, also is writing. It's sort of a cover all concept. Um, but again, that's episode 30. If you have not listened to that, honestly, it's, I want, I don't know if my uh, talking was one of the best episodes, but as far as content, if there's one episode that I'm like, oh man, anyone could benefit from this. And this is awesome. Like, I just want everybody to know this. It would be that. So check it out. Episode 30. Um, but you know, as powerful as that is, the important thing that I've found recently is 
if I take if I see that second verse or whatever part is kind of crappy, I commit myself not to edit it until it's good. I take that part and I say, okay, I'm going to write five, ten, fifteen more verses. And then if one of those starts to become good or is more of a story direction that I prefer than the first story, um, the first uh, story direction that I decided to go with my first version of the second verse or second version, whichever one I got stuck on. Maybe I'll find something better. Maybe I'll find a better syllable. That's not what I meant to say. A better symbol. <laughs> uh, wow. That was, that was, yeah, wow. But, um, I will commit myself to write tons of different versions because I'm committed to really making it great. And you know what? If I can write a great first verse with three drafts and then doing the iterative lyric writing process, great. And that's not that uncommon to get it right closer to the first time with the first verse. But that second verse, I'm not going to be satisfied with letting it be so much worse than the first verse, or just disappointing compared to the first verse, or feeling like the weakest part of the song, which it so often is. I say to myself, if it takes 15 different second verses before I find one that's worth editing iteratively, I will do that. And that's sort of what I'm talking about here. Because when you enter the editing phase, it implies some level of commitment. You've committed to that original pro product. Here's a second reason. Very connected. You might be thinking right now, but I can still go back to writing new lyrics after I start editing, right? Technically, yes. But are you going to? Once we move on to the next stage, it's hard to go back, right? Like, if you sit down and record a interview for half an hour, and then the interviewer says, oh, crap, we uh, forgot to have the microphone on, so we're going to have to redo that. You don't want to do that, right? You're like, well, doesn't the camera have a microphone on it? Once you put floor down, here's, here's a story. So uh, I'm recording this in my basement which is now mostly fixed up. I've not quite finished some parts. It still needs some trim in certain areas and stuff. But for the most part, I'm in a now fixed up basement. And <clears throat> we did laminate flooring. First, we, me and my wife uh, painted the basement because it was a horrible red, just a horrible red. The type of red that like might look good on a shirt, but was just horrific uh, for a wall because this just in wall colors and I don't know, t-shirt colors or, uh, sports teams colors, um, don't, you know, might not look good. <laughs> like it's, it's what looks good on a shirt or what looks good on a Jersey doesn't necessarily look good on a wall. So 
we painted the basement first. And then I had never done laminate flooring before, but I knew I wanted to do laminate flooring in this basement. Uh, so I picked out the floor, went and bought it, and my friend, my good friend Alex, uh, volunteered to help me with it because A, he's a good friend, and B, he kind of likes doing this stuff, and C, he wants me to owe him because he does lots of work on his house. Um, and someday I hope to actually be able to repay that. I haven't been able to. But um, for the most part, though, he's just really helpful. Not that he will ever listen to the, this podcast, but he is. He's awesome. Uh, and my friend Paul also uh, came over, <clears throat> and basically for a whole weekend, um, or close, it was it was a very long time, they helped me floor my basement. Now here's the thing. <clears throat> this basement is quite large, and we got, for the main area that I'm in right now, which I believe is... I forget what it is, 50 feet long, 45 feet long, and, and 10 or 12 wide. It's a large area. We probably got a quarter of the way through that area, very large, and then realized, crap, the reason it's gone so slow and the reason that um, it's been harder than uh, what Alex remembered laminate flooring is, is we didn't read the directions. This laminate flooring went in the opposite direction of the one he did on his house. Like, the way you put it together was the opposite. We had been doing it wrong. We spent a good half an hour with our hands on our hips, ticked, thinking, well, it does work, and we did all this already, and we already, like, cut pieces, and we cut pieces according to, like, the direction that it's in, so some pieces might get wasted now. And we've, we we re really were like, hmm, maybe we should just keep doing it the wrong way, because it can work. It's annoying. But So how hard do you think it was for us to decide to rip up all that floor and start all over again? We'd already been working for hours. Hours. It was the worst ripping that up and starting again. It was so hard to do. Even though we knew it would be faster and better to do it, I don't know, the right way. And that's the same thing with editing, right? Once you get to that next stage, you, you don't want to go back, right? Once you move out of your apartment and get your first house, you're not going to want to go back to an apartment, from there, you just want to get a bigger house, right? Once, once you get a car that isn't one foot or two tires in the grave, you don't want to go back to driving a, a clunker, right? Once you make $80,000 a year, you don't want to go back to when you made $50,000 a year, right? The human nature is we want, we don't like to go backwards. We want progress. We want everything, we'll do almost anything, just to perceive like we're moving forward, right? Even if we're really not, we just want to feel like we're moving forward. I know some people who want to take job offers that have uh, bigger, it has like a bigger salary figure, right? Like, oh, it says 100000 and they currently make like 90000 a year. But really, the benefits are so bad compared to their current $90,000 a year job, that they'd actually effectively be making less money. But because it seems
seems like it's better. They still want to do it. Like they just want to be able to say, ooh, I make six figures. But that's just the illusion of progress. And not all progress is good, right? There's this weird thing in our current society that like progress equals good. Like that's asinine. Like the idea that all progress is good is stupid. Because you know who progressed? Germany to Nazism, which is horrible, right? They progressed to that. Now they've progressed past that, sure. But like the idea that nothing has ever progressed into something horrible is ridiculous. Like literally every dictatorship ever was from progress, what they perceived as progress. Um, so there's this weird thing in society now where like progress equals good, which is such a dangerous thought. Um, you know, not that progress is bad either. You know, it's just not all progress is created equal. Um, you know, some is bad and some is good, and we have to figure out what's good progress and what's bad progress. And the same thing is true of our writing. Our whole writing process, right? Just because we're at the next stage, ooh, I'm editing now, that doesn't mean that that's good to be in that stage. Because once you go there, once you put on that editing hat, it's so hard to take that hat off and put the old hat back on. Go back to writing. It feels defeating. So if you stay in that writing stage longer, you're going to win that psychological game against yourself. So dedicate yourself to writing before you dive into editing. So I hope this was helpful to you. If it was... Let me know. How can you let me know? Well, my favorite way would be if you would go to iTunes. I don't care if you don't listen to this on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whatever. You know what I mean. Go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. If you feel like you cannot give this podcast four stars. No hard feelings. Um... Please don't leave that review, though. If you can't give this podcast five stars, let me know why. Email me, joseph, J-O-S-E-P-H, at songwritertheory.com. Let me know what I can improve. Let me know what I can do to earn five stars from you. And then, if I ever do earn it, then go leave a review and give me those five stars. Because um, if you, you know, if you, if you... Uh, give a lower rating now, it's going to tank the rating. And fewer people will start to listen. And the fewer people that start to listen, there will be less growth. And then I might not get a chance to get better. And my goal is to serve you, the listener. So help me help you. That's the goal. Also, if you have things you want me to cover, shoot me an email. Just gave you the email address, but I'll give it to you again. Joseph, J-O-S-E-P-H, at songwritertheory.com. I'm here to help you guys. And the best way I can do that is if you tell me what it is you need to know. Because everything I do when you don't let me know is guesses and going off of what would I have wanted to know when I was a 
younger songwriter, not necessarily in the young and age part, because I'm still, I'm 26, so I'm young. I'm probably younger than a lot of you listening. Uh, but I've been songwriting for a long time. Um, and, you know, when I was 15 in songwriting, uh, when I was a baby songwriter, I'd been like doing it for like three years or so. Uh, I remember the things that I, that, that, that later I learned that were like, oh, if only I had known this earlier. Um, so that's mostly what I go off of. So let me know. What do you want to learn? And if this was helpful to you, I have something else that'll be very helpful to you, which is my free guide, totally free. That's why it's a free guide. Um, it's 10 proven ways to start writing a song in under an hour. So if you're ever overwhelmed by songwriting or get into creative ruts, which we all do, right? If you wish your songwriting efficiency was better, uh, this guide gives you 10 concrete ways uh, where I break down exactly how to do it to start writing a song. Um, and, and really what this is, is birthed out of is... Before, uh, you've probably, if you've been listening to this this podcast, you're probably aware of this, that I often say I used to be a lyrics first guy and I I still am to an extent, but, um, I, I religiously adhere to the idea that you write the lyric first because no matter what you write or as soon as you start writing something, it's, it's it's sort of like what we just went over with writing and editing and, you know, the whole process. With each step of the process, you give yourself fewer and fewer options, right? So once you have the lyric, you're sort of constrained um, melodically, right? Because you have certain syllables that you have to work with. So you can't just do any melody. So now you're constrained a little bit. Once you write a melody, right, you're constrained to what chords you can use. Or once you, on the other side, pick chords... You're constrained to what melodies you can do with those chords, right? You can't just have any notes in the melody while you have any chord. That's not how that works. Um, so I was a lyrics first guy, religiously. Um, but eventually I realized that it's so limiting to um, only write with a certain process. And you can write fantastic lyrics without starting with writing with a lyric. Um, so that's sort of where this guide is birthed out of is, is 10 different ways to attack songwriting, really, you know, cause a lot of people will ask like, well, lyrics first or music first. And I give you five different ways for each of those, uh, to start with lyrics and to start with music. And I think all of them are important. I've gotten great results out of all of them. And, um, you know, certain ones will have certain draws, um, you know, certain ones will lend themselves a little more to having like a really cool guitar riff. Some will lend themselves more to, uh, to a really, uh, evocative lyric, evocative in a, you know, like emotional way. Um, so, so they all are just different. They're just different ways to attack a song so that if you're having a day if you're a lyrics first person, like I used to be, now, again, I depends on the situation, but lyrics are still of utmost importance to me. 
um, and you're staring at a blank page, right? Like, and that, but that, but that's how you start writing songs, right? You're a lyrics first person. This guide will give you different ways, so you're not stuck staring at a blank page because that you know that's how I write songs. Like we don't want to be stuck by that, right? We want to be able to go to different resources and try different things that allow us that that can be that seed that turns into a song. And that's what this guide is all about. 10 proven ways to start writing a song in under an hour. And again, you can get it totally free at songwritertheory.com slash free guide. There's no dashes or anything, just one word basically, free guide. songwritertheory.com slash free guide.